The following audio is from Life Journey Church. More information about Life Journey Church is available at www.lifejourneyva.com. Well, last week uh, we started talking about how sin and the new covenant works, how sin works in the new covenant. If you weren't here last week, I really encourage you to check out the podcast, by the way, on our brand new website. Anybody seen the brand new website? Yeah, it is really cool. I really like it. So check it out, lifejourneyva.com. But the bottom line is in the new covenant, we are forgiven. This means that all of our sins, past, present, future, all of them have been forgiven us, even to the point where they have been wiped from the very remembrance of God by the one single act on the cross by Jesus. And so many of us, we just don't believe this. We think that our sins are held against us and until, to the point where we have to then ask God on a regular basis as Christians to forgive us. And 10 times out of 10, we go to this one verse that we looked at last week, 1 John chapter 1, verse about 9. And we pull this one verse out of context, forgetting the rest of the clarity of the new covenant, all the apostles and what they write, including John, about how we're totally forgiven of all our sin. We pull this one verse out of its context and we say, see, we have to confess our sins on a daily basis in order to be forgiven by God on a daily basis. But listen, the truth is just simply so much better. The truth is that in the new covenant, we are forgiven. And so the question is, is how do we get into the new covenant? How do we become partakers of this covenant? And that's by trusting in Jesus. So if we trust in Jesus, if we believe what he's done, then guess what? We're in the covenant. And so today we're going to shift gears a little bit, and we're going to still be talking about sin and the new covenant, but we're going to shift gears a little bit, and, and we're going to um, talk about why it's so important that we believe with every fiber of our being that God has completely and totally forgiven us of all of our sins. Why is that so important? Why did every single apostle write what we have in the New Testament? Why did they talk about our absolute and total complete forgiveness of all of our sins? Why do we at Life Journey make a big deal about this? Why do we defend Scripture and teach that we are forgiven completely and perfectly by God if we believe in Jesus? Why do we press for clarity and simplicity and resist this religious teaching that says that we're only forgiven of our past sins, but we have to make up for our present sins and our future sins with God? Why, why do we stand up to false teachers of other gospels that say, no, 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 we're not truly forgiven, we're just partially, and then we're forgiven more as we continue. Why do we do this? Why do we say, no, a believer is forgiven 100% period, end of sentence? Why do we make such a big deal about this? Because if you've been coming for a while, I would imagine that you've heard us talk about this over and over. Why do we make such a big deal about this? Well, at Life Journey, we seek to teach the truth of Scripture. If you've been with us for a while, you know that we just finished the entire book of Hebrews, going verse by verse. It took us about 11 months to walk through it. It is on our podcast as well, if you want to check it out. And so we seek to proclaim from the mountaintops that our absolute forgiveness of sins is complete and finished because the Scriptures clearly teach it. And that should be enough of a reason by itself, but there's actually other reasons, very, very practical reasons. And this is in your your, your notes, your Bible notes, if you just go to bibleapp.lifejourneyva.com and you can follow some of these notes, is a very practical reason why we teach this. And it's as clear 
as the nose on the end of our face, but I, I have a suspicion that most of us actually don't know what we're about to see today. But here it is. We boldly stand up to false teachers and other gospels that proclaim that the gospel, it only forgave, they, they teach it only forgives you of your past sins and you have to get further forgiveness. So we boldly stand up against them and say, no, we are forgiven of all of our sins. Listen, because it's only by seeing that our sins are forgiven that we end up sinning less. And I'm saying that again because that sounds so counterintuitive. It's only by seeing that our sins are actually forgiven that we end up sinning less. Doesn't that sound backwards? Doesn't that sound weird? Doesn't that sound off a little bit? I can't tell you how many times someone has said to me, Walt, wait a second. Time out, brother. Brother from another mother. Time out, man. If we tell people that they are forgiven of all their sins, even their future sins, then people are just going to sin all the more. And I concede. I concede that if we think that grace is just simply some sort of concept to just, you know, study, then then yeah. If it's just a concept, then then yeah, there probably will be more sinning. But listen, grace isn't a concept. It's a person. It's Jesus Christ. And so when we talk about falling into grace, the grace of God, we're talking about falling into a person, Jesus Christ himself. And so if we see grace just as a concept, then, then rather a person, yeah, there will be more sinning probably. But if we see that we're falling into Jesus Christ himself, then how in the world would Jesus ever lead us into more sinning? You see that? And so what we're going to look at today is going to rock some worlds. It rocked my world about a year and a half ago when I saw this for the first time. Let's be honest real quick. Don't raise hands, right? Because I don't know, it might get awkward. But how many of us as believers still choose to sin? I mean, let's just imagine all the hands are up, right? How many of us believers choose to sin every day? I'd probably say most every hand probably would still be up if we did hands right now, you know. But how many of us believers, now catch this, choose even the same sin over and over? Again, probably most of us. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, how many of us who sin, especially the same sin, over and over, we feel totally worthless, we feel totally guilty, totally condemned by God even, when we kind of sober up and see what we've done? We experience anxiety, we experience pain at the fact that we chose to do the same thing again and again. Most of the time, when we think of, you know, sins, the same sins over and over, these big sins, these self-destructive behaviors, we think of what we would call big sins, right? Not the little ones, but the big ones. Now, I think they're all, I mean, sin is sin, but we tend to think of things like, you know, big stuff like pornography, alcoholism, adultery, fornication, things where we're like, oh, those are the, the big guys, you know, the things that only you or maybe one other person know, and if, and if it got out, then, you know, you'd probably lose your spouse, you probably lose your career, your family, your livelihood, your home. You know, the big things that we think of when we think of, you know, man, I keep choosing to do the same thing over and over. Now, look, if you want to think of that or those, those huge, I'm using these, those who are listening by podcast, whatever this is, 
air quotes, right? These huge, if you want to think of those huge sins, when you think of the sins that you or someone else do over and over, hey, that's fine, it fits, but let's don't forget, let's don't overlook, you know, all the sins we choose on a daily basis, like selfishness, pride, lying, cheating, you know, stuff that in our culture have become so, you know, accepted that we don't even think about them. We just kind of do them. So I submit that if we're all honest, we would all say that we habitually choose sins, even the same sins, over and over, day after day. And then when we sober up, we feel disgusted. We, we feel dirty. We feel distant. We feel like we've raised up some sort of wall between us and God. And the only way to, to knock it down is to spend some time alone and ask God to forgive us of all those sins, to take the bricks off one by one. And so we've embraced this sort of yo-yo back and forth with God. And I have to be honest, to be 100% honest, back when I considered myself, well, today, I didn't consider myself then, but back when I would call myself a false teacher about this, I would spend time confessing sins to God in order to get forgiven, which is not the way it works, knowing, knowing that I was going to do the very same thing the next day. I mean, just being honest with you. Each of us know that sin is bad. We might not all agree on which sin is bad, but we all agree that sin is bad. But with sober minds, we know that we don't want to do it. But for whatever reason, we end up doing the same thing, the very thing that we don't want to do. Maybe you don't see yourself in that situation. Maybe you've never sinned the same sin over and over. I don't know. But you certainly know someone. If you're not thinking about something in your own, you know, pattern, you're certainly thinking of someone else. That's what we do. We try and we try again to, to conquer it. We commit and then we recommit over again. We, we labor and then we labor some more to try to create some sort of self-control, some sort of kicking the habit. We try things over and over and over. And we end up back at the beginning of choosing that same self-destructive sin, whether it's, you know, the big ones, drunkenness, you know, or maybe the lesser ones, you know, like just gossip, you know. Or, you know, whether it's the big ones, you know, like fornication, but also the little ones, like, you know, lying about something. The big ones, pornography, the little ones, slander. Most of us, probably all of us, if not ourselves, we know someone, a believer, who continues to choose sin over and over. Why? Why do we choose these same self-destructive behaviors over and over? We want to stop, right? But we just can't stop. Why? Why is that? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because that's what we're going to spend the rest of our time looking at. And I, I can promise that what we're going to see today in 2 Peter chapter 1 is, is, I was going to say literally, but that would not be true, is going to blow our minds. It's going to blow our minds. We're going to look at how sin in the new covenant works. Turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to see... In this short little passage, 
what we're going to see, it flies in the face of religious teaching. Religious teaching says that when we sin as believers, we are no longer right with God. The, the, the number one thing that people will say when they fess up to some sort of sin, they'll say something like, I need to get right with God. And, and you ask, well, how do you do that? And they talk about, you know, confessing sins or whatever. And, and the religious teaching says, you won't be right with God until you stop that sinning so that you can then become right with God again. And again, this is in your Bible notes, but what we're about to see is that we choose to sin because we have forgotten just how pure we actually are. I'm going to say that again. We're going to see something that blows our mind. We actually choose to sin because we forget just how right, just how pure with God we really are. And it throws religion on its head. So let's just say, don't take my word for it. Don't ever. Let's just walk through this really quickly in our few minutes we have remaining. This is Second Peter chapter 1. Simon Peter, a bondservant, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Okay, so it's pretty clear. If you're new with us, we kind of read a little bit, we talk a little bit, and then we wrap it up at the end. But it's pretty clear that Peter is writing to believers, to fellow Christians who have received the same faith of ours. I mean, he's writing to other believers, people who have been made right with God by trusting in Jesus. All right, go to verse 2. He says, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and our Jesus, our Lord. Verse 3, seeing, now look at this, that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who calls us to be, calls us his own, calls us by his own glory and excellence. Sorry about that. So this is probably one of the most important verses in the Bible when it comes to practical daily living. God has granted to us everything. You see that? Everything pertaining to life and godliness. Do we, do we see what this means? This means that everything you need to live a godly life, it's actually yours. I, I can't tell you how many times people have said this, and, and then I myself used to to say this over and over that, that I would beg God, you know, to give me more of himself, more of him in order to live a godly life. How many of us have ever done that? You ever done that? I mean, I, I need more. I need something else in order to live this godly life. And what the scriptures is saying, no, no, no. You've been given everything. It's yours. It's actually yours. I used to think that God was dangling this kind of this carrot out in front of me, and, and, and I would I would try to go for it, and, and I kept missing it, and, and I needed something else, something more to actually live a guy life. I viewed God as like this cosmic bully who demanded righteous behavior, but he never really gave me what I needed. So he says, because of his, his excellency, his glory, he has granted to us these magnificent promises, keep reading, so that by these promises, you may become, read this slowly, partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in this world by lust. Man, we really need to read this slowly. This is so huge. Because of his promises, because of the new covenant, because of what Jesus has done, when we place our trust in him, we become partakers of the divine nature. 
we don't have a whole lot of time to unpack this, but I would bet that most of us in the room believe, if you're a believer in Jesus, most of us would believe that we have two natures. We would believe that we have a good nature, and then we would believe that we also still have a bad nature. We have a good nature or a bad nature, we think. We've been taught. We think that we have a godly nature, but yet we still have our old man nature. We think that there's a civil, civil war of sorts going on in us, the good nature versus the bad nature. Let's consider this. If that's true, which I think most of us have probably heard or, or maybe even we still think, if that's true, does anybody remember what Jesus says happens to a house that's divided amongst itself? That house will what? Fall. So let's consider this. If the gospel, if the new covenant, if the good news is that God gives us a new human spirit, but we still have the old human spirit, we are divided amongst ourselves, God is promising that if that happens, we will fail and fall. Is that the gospel? Is the gospel that there's a guarantee by Jesus himself that we'd fail? No, listen, listen, listen. We do not have a good nature and a bad nature entangled in some sort of civil war. Our old nature, our old human spirit was crucified with Christ and it no longer lives. It is dead. It died once and it remains dead. It's buried. It's gone, taken away. And we who believe in Jesus, we've been born again with a new nature. And Peter calls it that it it's this divine nature. We become partakers of the divine nature. No longer a partaker of an old nature, but a new nature. And this new origin, this new nature is ours. Now look, there certainly is a battle. And we've all experienced it. But we just call it the wrong thing. The battle isn't our new man versus the old man. The old man is dead and gone. We've got to believe that. The battle is the new man who's a partaker of the divine nature versus the flesh, versus sin, the power of sin that lives in our flesh. It's real. It is alive. It remains alive. Sin in our flesh did not die. We died. It still lives. But because we died to sin, we're no longer joined to it in any way. Sin is not us. We're not married to it. We've died to it. And we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We are holy, righteous, and redeemed. We are partakers of the divine nature. Through death and resurrection, we have escaped the corruption in this world, and we have been rescued into a whole nother world, the kingdom of the beloved Son. So why do we still sin? If this is so true, because this is really awesome, we're partakers of the divine nature, then why do we still sin in the new covenant? Well, let's keep reading. Verse 5, for this very reason, okay, what reason? Because we are partakers of the divine nature, for this reason, and now Peter lists off a list of qualities. These are very similar to the one that Paul lists in, in Galatians chapter 5 that we call the fruit of the what? Fruit of the Spirit. They're almost identical. So look at these. He, he lists off, because we're partakers of the divine nature, he says to let these things of the divine nature flow. He says, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence. In your moral excellence, supply 
knowledge. And your knowledge supply self-control. You see how these are very similar to Paul's list in Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit? In your self-control supply perseverance. Another word for that is patience. In your perseverance or your patience supply godliness. In your godliness supply brotherly kindness. In your brotherly kindness supply Love. You see how these are very similar, if not almost identical to Galatians chapter 5? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, etc., etc. Against such things there is no law. But here's what we have to see. Who is the supplier of these qualities? He's calling on you to supply them, but where did you get them from? You see this? Let's don't think that Peter is suggesting that we supply these by our flesh or by our trying harder. He already said back in verse 3 where these things come from. He says that God himself has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. So so moral excellence, knowledge, self-control, patience, all these things have been fully granted to us the moment we first believed in Jesus because we're partakers of the divine nature. Now, now look at verse 8. Your mind and my mind, it, even just knowing where this is going to get to in verse 9, my mind's just like going crazy right now. Let's get to verse 8 first. He says, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, what qualities? you know, what we just listed, self-control, you know, all those things. If they are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, if these qualities of the Spirit of God in you are, are coming out of you, then, then rock on, rock star. I mean, it's, it's great. Keep on. It's awesome. That's great. Keep growing in the true knowledge of Jesus, not just a concept, but a person, and what he's done for you. But let's be honest, okay, how, how many of us would probably say, you know, sometimes these qualities do come out, love, kindness to the brethren, etc. Sometimes they do, but, but many times, well, let's be honest, they don't. In fact, we, as we've been talking about, we daily at times choose some of the same self-destructive behaviors over and over. Instead of these good qualities being manifested, sin actually gets manifested. So if that's you, and I would say in in some sort of way it's all of us, let verse 9 totally rock your world. Look at this. For he who lacks these qualities... I mean, can I get a witness, right? I mean, at times... For he who lacks these qualities, look at this, slow down, don't pass this up. He who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Let's just say that again. If we lack godly qualities coming out and we choose sinful qualities, it's because we have grown blind and short-sighted, having forgotten the fact that we have been purified from our former sins. Oh, this is, this is, this is, drop your jaw, like what the heck? 
If you or some Christian you know lacks the godly quality of self-control that was just listed earlier by repeatedly over and over, let's get practical, repeatedly over and over choosing pornography, then you or they, if they're a believer, you've tried everything under the sun to try to conquer this deal, but you can't. Do we hear what Peter is saying? Peter is saying that these qualities of self-control are not ours, not because we haven't fessed up enough sin, or we've, it's not because we haven't tried enough support groups or, or enough internet filters. What he's saying is that we lack these qualities of self-control because we've forgotten the truth that we have been purified from the very sin of pornography. Doesn't that kind of sound weird? Does it sound backwards? Well, Let's take another example. Let's say you or a Christian that you know, a believer, lacks the quality, the self-control, the quality of self-control by repeatedly gossiping. Let's go into the lesser category. Those big ones, they kind of scare us a little bit. The le- gossiping, slander, talking about somebody behind their back. It, it, pa- Peter is saying that if you lack the quality of self-control, of taming that tongue, whatever you want to call it, then it's because you've forgotten the reality that you have been forgiven, purified from the very sin of gossip. Whatever your self-destructive behavior is, I don't know, whatever it is, the reason we do them, according to Peter, the reason we fall into the same stuff over and over is because we've forgotten the truth that we have been purified from all of our sins. Let me ask you, honestly, Anybody reading this and it's like the first time you've ever seen this? It was for me about a year ago, a year and a half ago. You're telling me that I, I'm, I choose the same sins over and over because I don't really, have, I haven't really come to grips with how pure I've really been made in this sin? And that's what Peter is saying. He's saying that we've grown blind, short-sighted to the truth of just how pure we actually are. I shared these verses with a dear friend of mine a couple of weeks ago. Who, who She's grown up in church her entire life, and I read this to her because we were talking about a friend of ours who, who you know, in, in the re- religious circles would say is not right with God, and they need to stop doing this in order to be right with God, etc. And I just read this to her, and, and, and she, she, she said, what? What? I've never seen this before. I've never read this before. What? Listen, God's ways are not our ways. We think that we are purified. We think that if we're purified from all of our sins, even future sins, we think that we'll just sin all the more. But the truth is that if we clearly see that all of our sins are actually forgiven, the result, the byproduct of that is we actually end up sinning less. But it's when we forget, it's when we become blind or short-sighted to the reality of our purification that we end up sinning again and again. Look at verse 10. Therefore, brethren, okay, because of this, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and his choosing of you. In other words, realize who you are. Because this is the way it works, realize just how pure you are. For as long as you practice these things, these things of remembering, uh, uh, you'll never stumble. In other words, it, 
If you see you're forgiven of all of your sins, these godly qualities will actually manifest. And when these men, these, these qualities, these, this fruit of the Spirit manifests, when self-control manifests, when love manifests, when, when kindness to the brethren manifests, guess what? You're not going to be manifesting sinful behaviors because you're manifesting the Spirit of God. And it's like I say you know, all the time, who of us, when we're thinking about the reality of our new heart and the finished work of Jesus and what he's actually done and how we've actually been made pure, righteous, holy, redeemed, how many of us in that same moment say, you know what, I think I'm going to go rob a liquor store? None of us do. Because our minds are being renewed to the truth of what is. Verse 11, for in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of the Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ will, uh, will be abundantly supplied to you. Now look at these last couple of verses, verses 12 through 15, and we're going to wrap. Are you seeing, are you starting to see why we're so adamant about proclaiming our complete and total and perfect, absolute forgiveness of all of our sins, past, present, future? It's because of by the growing revelation of just how pure we've been made, we end up sinning less and less. Read Peter's testimony. Some of you may say, you know, Walt, you just talk about grace. You talk about our forgiveness. You talk about being, you talk about that just a lot. Why do you talk about it so much? Well, read verse 12 with me. He says, therefore, okay, because when we see we're pure, we stop sinning, we sin less. Therefore, I, this is Peter, will always be ready to remind you (laughs) of these things even though you already know them. So, so some of us in the room, we already know this. We already know that we are purified from all of us. Some of us don't. Some of us came in the room this morning thinking that God was holding our sins against us still, even though we trust in Jesus. But even those of us who do believe in the finished work of Jesus, he's saying, I'm always ready to remind you, even though you've already know them and have been established in the truth, which is present in you. So, so this is why. This is why we proclaim the finished work of Jesus over and over and over, because the apostles did. If Peter did it, I think it'd be a good idea for us to do it. They got it. They understood that, that though, even though we understand and we see these and we believe these things, we must be reminded over and over and over. And when we start to see that, that our perfect, our purification, our absolute purification from all of our sins, it actually leads to godly living. When we start to see that, we long to hear it more and more. We long to read about it. We long to sing about it more and more so that these truths continue to wash over our old stinking thinking, if you will. But if we believe that godly living is achieved by some other means then we want to go on to some other doctrines, some other teachings, some other issues, some other topics, some other how-tos, other than the profound simplicity of the gospel. And so what I'm saying, if it was good enough for Peter to remind them over and over, I think it's good for us to be reminded over and over because we forget. And you know when you forget? It's when we stumble into sin. Because he's saying if you lack these qualities... It's because you've grown blind and short-sighted, having forgotten the truth that we have been purified from our former sins. So verse 13, I love this. He says, I consider it right 
as long as I'm in this earthly dwelling, that is, as long as I'm alive, he doesn't even say, doesn't even talk about death. He just says this earthly dwelling because he realizes that he's already died and he's been made alive. And so it's just a matter of an earthly dwelling, his, his flesh falling off. As long as I'm in this earthly dwelling, it is right to stir you up by way of, there it is again, reminder. Knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, meaning he's going to die soon, as our Lord Jesus has made it clear. And I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure, you'll be able to call these things to mind. I mean, look at this. Peter is so adamant about reminding the saints that they are partakers of the divine nature and that godly living comes through seeing that they truly are purified from their sins. He's so adamant about it that he wants to make sure that when he's dead and gone, that they have ways to continue to be reminded about it. And maybe that's the reason why he wrote it down and sent it to them by snail mail. He didn't text it to them. He didn't email it. He sent it by letter. He wrote it down. And maybe 2,000 years later, we sitting here are reading this on some sort of digital screen, being reminded of the very thing that actually generates within us godly living. So God's not some sort of cosmic bully holding out, and we need more of what what it takes to live righteous. No, he has given to us everything, everything pertaining to life and godliness. And the question truly is, do you see just how pure you truly are if you trust in Jesus? Do you see just how pure you have been made by the washing of the blood of Jesus? Because if we do see it, then what are the qualities? But if we don't see it, then we know those qualities because we've lived them all too often. Our band's going to come on up, and we're going to wrap up this morning. Our band, which most of which are out of town, but um, Craig's going to come up in April. And our journey marker, if you're new with us, journey marker is just, okay, let's kind of put all this into a little thought, write it down, maybe snap a picture of it. It's in the Bible app. It's just simply this. If I want to live godly today, I must see all my sins are taken away. If I want to live godly today, which I would assume if we took a poll, most of us would say, yeah, I want to live godly. Well, here's how. According to Peter, we must see that all of our sins have been taken away. We've been purified from it, totally pure from it. And for for some of you, this makes total perfect sense. Some of you, you get it. You see it. You see how the truth of our purification from all these sins actually generates within us godly living. You see it. You get it. You understand it. You you think, why in the world would I go back into sinful living when it was those sins that actually put Jesus on the cross? You you get it. You, You see, why in the world would I get in bed with sin when I have been wed to the true lover of my soul, Jesus Christ, who loved me and gave himself for me, who has washed me, and he's now presented me before himself, holy, pure, blameless, without spot or without wrinkle. You get it. You see, he's like, why would I, why would I dabble with that? It makes sense to you. Awesome. Rock on, rock star. Continue. But I guarantee that even in a group this size, even on Labor Day weekend when we're down quite a bit, but even in our podcast audience, there's at least one person, there's at least one person who's thinking, let's be honest, okay, give me a break. 
give me a break. You really expect me to believe that I will sin less and less as my mind is renewed more and more to the truth that I've been purified from all of my sins? Give me a break. At least one person. Well, listen, if that's you, I want you to try an experiment with me this week. I'll do it with you. An experiment this week. Now, this might be a little graphic for younger ears, but I'll keep it try to, you know, PG, PG-13. But I really want to desperately connect the dots for us. I don't want any confusion. So if you are doubting what Peter is saying, that the means to godly living comes as a byproduct of us seeing just how pure we are with God, I want you to try this this week. Try this. The next time you're tempted to sin, you know, especially that same old sin, that comes in over and over, and maybe even for years now, the next time, as soon as the temptation comes, and you know where it comes, you know where you are, you know how it works, I want you to start whispering to yourself, I have been purified from fill in the blank, whatever it is, whatever it is. I have been purified from lust. I have been purified from lust. Just say it over and over. I've been purified from envy. I've been purified from lying, from gossip, from greed. I've been purified from hating that person who I continue to hate over and over. I've been purified from hating even myself. How many of us, if we're honest, hate ourselves at times? I've been purified from pornography, purified from alcoholism, purified from selfishness. Look, whatever it is, whatever that self-destructive behavior is for you, I don't know. You may be even faced with it the minute you walk out the door. As soon as you begin being tempted by sin, which is alive and active, I don't have to tell you that, begin telling yourself, declaring, I have been purified from whatever it is. Fill in the blank. And keep saying it. Don't stop saying it. The hardest thing is for the truth that's in our new heart, which remember, partakers of the divine nature to work its way up to our old brains that are still thinking the way of the flesh and the way of the world. So even if, now this might sound crazy, even if you begin the actual sinful act, keep saying it. I mean, even if you're surfing the porn site, keep saying saying it. You're scrolling through Facebook, jealous, actively jealous of other people's lives, their husbands, their kids, their careers. Actively keep saying it. I have been purified from jealousy. Look, this isn't brainwashing. This is active renewal of the mind. It is you coming to terms with the reality of what is. The reality of what is, according to Peter, is that you have been purified from your sins. And we stumble, we we don't let God manifest his spirit through us when we forget, when we grow blind and short-sighted. You have been purified. You know what? You may continue into that sin. And you may continue in that sin over and over for years to come, even with you declaring the truth of what is but I'm just dumb enough to believe the Scriptures. And if the Word of God is true, and if what Peter is saying in 1 Peter chapter 1 is gospel truth, then sin will lose. 
and these qualities of Christ in you will begin to be manifested more and more. Look, what do you have to lose? I mean, let's just be honest. We all know that what you've tried so far ain't working. What do you have to lose? The big things, using these again, the little things. You have been purified from your sins. This is what sin in the new covenant is like. We gain victory by standing on the truth of what is. Maybe this morning you've not yet begun to trust in Jesus and your sin is still held to your account. You've not transferred your trust from yourself or whomever to Jesus himself. Listen, Jesus hung on the cross taking all of your sin upon himself. He died. He took your wrath, the wrath that you deserved. He took it upon himself. He swallowed, if you will, the cup of God's wrath against your sin. He died. He was buried, and three days later, to prove that he conquered and took away your sins, he rose from the dead. And we who believe in him, we have his righteousness. You say, that's kind of arrogant, isn't it? Well, no, no. It's a free gift. We don't do anything but receive. We receive the life he's given. So maybe you today need to start trusting in Jesus for the first time and receive this purification from your sins. If that's you, man, I'd love to talk with you. Again, email, call. We'll be sta- I'll be standing around here for a couple of minutes. I'd love to talk with you about what it means to believe in Jesus. Do you see now, you see why we talk so much about the fact that you are pure? You see why? Because it actually leads us A byproduct of it is it actually leads us to godly living. And we thank Jesus, man. It's all him. It's what he's done. Him now living in us. You know, if we see ourselves as dirty, rotten sinners, then what are we going to probably do? Dirty, rotten, sinful things. But if we begin to see ourselves for who we truly are, righteous, holy, redeemed, the very righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, then what do you think is going to actually start happening? We're going to live like we believe we really Thank you for listening to this message from Life Journey Church. Feel free to distribute this podcast, but please do not charge for it or alter it in any way. For more information about Life Journey Church, visit us at www.lifejourneyva.com.